Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. I'm what you might call a Yuletide junkie, a holiday-aholic, a dyed-in-the-wool Santa sniffer. Simply put, I love Christmas. It is hands down my favorite time of year. The vibrant lights, the timeless Christmas carols, the delectable array of holiday treats, along with the reunion of family and friends, is a symphony to my soul. As a self-proclaimed Christmas aficionado, I would contend that there is a nuanced cadence and rhythm to the holiday season that one must observe in order to maximize their holiday cheer. This entails foremost that Christmas lights be hung prior to Thanksgiving. That's number one. Number two, it's crucial that we recognize and acknowledge that Die Hard is a bona fide Christmas movie and it should be celebrated as such. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, Christmas presents and the unwrapping of those presents should be reserved only for the magical morning of Christmas itself, not Christmas Eve, Christmas morning. And any deviation from this ritualistic holiday flow is to risk the perilous possibility of ending up on Santa's naughty list. And so each year, come November, I diligently adhere myself to my Christmas rhythm, leaving no detail untouched. With an almost religious dedication, I ensure that every T has been crossed, every I has been dotted, and every piece of holly hung with precision, all in the pursuit of proliferating the magic of the holiday year for myself and for others. However, there is one area of my life, one rhythm of life that often resembles less a refined ballroom waltz and more closely mimics the chaos of the chicken dance. The cadence in question involves my rhythmic obedience to Christ in the daily rhythm of life. As a believer, I have to confess that my consistency in obeying Jesus in some of the even most fundamental areas of Christianity, things like loving your neighbor, things like denying self or looking after the marginalized in my community, can sometimes be lacking. Unlike my adherence to the Yuletide festivities, my faith journey with Jesus can often feel like a series of stops and starts, moments where I find myself simply flapping my arms to no effect. The truth is, is that while I have indeed proclaimed Jesus as my Savior, there are still moments where I struggle with being obedient to his commands. But That's just me. What about you? I imagine that each of us could likely pinpoint areas and aspects in our faith journey where we struggle to bring obediently to Christ. 
be that persistent sin, lingering shame or guilt, struggles with forgiveness, a aspect of life which we hold too tightly, or perhaps a fear that feels impossible to overcome. Regardless of the issue or the challenge that you're thinking of at this moment, I would contend that if you've professed a faith in Christ, there is at least one, a minimum of one, if not multiple, aspects of our lives where we grapple to fully bring them under the submission and authority of Jesus. And no matter the substance of our struggles, our lack of obedience to Christ can be reduced down to a single issue in almost every circumstance. That issue is lordship. Lordship. In other words, who we believe has final authority over our lives will also subsequently govern our actions. That's what lordship means. And every one of us, whether we recognize it or not, bows our knee in allegiance to someone or to something. And navigating this concept of lordship can prove to be incredibly challenging in our current cultural context where self-worship reigns supreme. The pursuit of personal happiness, of sexual fulfillment, of individual autonomy prevails as the primary motivating factor for many in our world. And this ideal of self-worship and self-gratification has permeated every aspect and corner of our culture, even and including the church. Consequently, many, even those who profess faith in Christ, can struggle to relinquish their self-made authority and willingly submit their lives to Jesus. And so the challenge or the tension that I want us to wade into this morning is this. How can we navigate a more selfless obedience to Christ, even as we live, move, and breathe within a culture that's saturated with self-centeredness? In other words, how do we cultivate a more robust commitment to a Jesus-centered life the same way we are committed to other rhythms in our life, such as our cherished Christmas traditions. Fortunately, we are not the first people to struggle with obedience to Christ. And as we continue our series this morning, which we've entitled Mary's Christmas, we're going to explore specifically Mary's encounter with two unique individuals who had fully surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. And as we do so, I believe that we're going to be able to extract some practical insights from their examples that will help us navigate a path of selfless obedience to Christ, even as we live in a self-centered world. So let's jump into God's word. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them to Luke chapter 2. However, before we get there, I want to help orient us in the Christmas story help us understand where we are in the progression of Jesus's birth. And so to do so, we're going to have to dive into the opening verses of our text from today. Beginning in Luke chapter 2, verses 21, it reads as follows. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given to him by the angel even before he was conceived. 
Then it was time for the purification offering, as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. We can see that based on this text, Luke's account of Jesus' birth has decidedly progressed beyond the conventional nativity scene. The cows are no longer lowing. The shepherds have all returned to their fields with their stinky sheep. And Mary and Joseph have largely been left alone with their newborn son. And when we consider the eight days before Jesus' circumcision, and an additional 33 days required for Mary's purification rites, which just meant an Old Testament law that mandated a woman's ritual uncleanness following childbirth, we can confidently estimate that the events described in the latter part of Luke chapter 2 unfolded no sooner than 40 days post-manger. And so now that we've kind of oriented ourselves within Luke's narrative of Christ's birth, Let's re-immerse ourselves into the text, beginning in verse 23. It reads, The law of the Lord says, If a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offer the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And at the time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and it revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby, Jesus, to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them, and Jesus' parents were, and he said, I'm sorry, to Mary and Joseph, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been uh, sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Anna the prophet was there in the temple. She was a daughter of a guy's name that I can't pronounce. I would recommend that you ask Kurt. From the tribe of Asher. And she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came alongside just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. A flurry of activity is unfolding within these verses. Mary and Joseph are engaged in sacrifices being offered at the temple. Simeon is following the leading of the Holy Spirit, and the prophet Anna is fearlessly heralding the arrival of God's Messiah. Each 
is performing an act of obedience, which as we'll see in just a moment, was the result of a premeditated lordship. In essence, Mary, Joseph, Simeon, and Anna had already established a hierarchy of authority in their lives. And their outward actions were merely the result and reflection of an inward submission. Certainly, we would do well at this moment to pause and inquire of the text at hand as to what was the specific authority that each of these individuals had chosen to submit. The central focus of this passage is undoubtedly Simeon's song in verses 29 through 32, but it also holds the key to unraveling the constituted authority embraced by each of these participants. And so let's go back to the text again and read Simeon's song in beginning in verse 29. It reads as follows. Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is the light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon's worshipful song as he cradled the infant Christ unveils the driving force behind not only his actions, but also the actions of Mary and Joseph and Anna in Luke 2. Theirs was not a obedience moved by a self-authority or a self-centered authority, such as we witness in our day's day. Instead, each had been spiritually awakened to the reality of Jesus as the revelation of God's salvation plan and willingly surrendered themselves selflessly to his rule in their lives. Simeon boldly proclaims that Jesus, the Christ child, is the embodiment of God's salvation. Jesus is the long-awaited Savior foretold in the early chapters of Genesis when sin first infiltrated humanity like a cancer. He is the promised heir to Israel's throne, destined to emerge from the lineage of King David. As the deliverer, Jesus fulfills the anticipation of the ancient prophets of Israel while the nation languished languished in foreign captivity. He is the tangible light of God. A a manifestation that, as the Apostle John had wrote, no darkness can ever extinguish. He is God's marvelous salvation. He is the Messiah. However, Simeon's song also acknowledges Christ's authority, which surpasses personal or national confines. In contrast to many of his contemporaries who were envisioning a nationalistic Messiah who would rescue the Jewish people from their um, uh, plight, Simeon comprehended that Jesus' reign as Lord transcended the physical boundaries of Israel. Indeed, he saw that Jesus, the Lamb of God, came to eradicate the sins of the entire world and that his light would reveal God to all the nations, not just Israel. And the expansiveness of his authority is so profound and so great 
that the book of Revelation anticipates a future day yet coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess his lordship. In Simeon's hymn, the nuanced nature of Jesus's advent unfolds, revealing a dual significance as the redemptive Messiah and also the sovereign Lord. Simeon, Mary, and Joseph, and Anna, recognizing this dual aspect, willingly submitted their lives to the divine authority embodied in Christ. And as we delve deeper into this narrative, we're going to see that their selfless submission to Jesus's lordship emerges as a catalyst propelling their obedient actions that we read about in Luke chapter 2. In essence, we can assert that how they saw Jesus determined how they followed him. And this raises a crucial point of introspection for us this morning. Specifically, we should ask of ourselves, who do we believe Jesus is? Now, I would encourage you not to rush to answer that question too quickly. Who do we believe that Jesus is? Because I would contend that a significant number of Western believers, meaning those who have professed faith in Christ within the Church of America, have been exposed to a gospel that emphasizes the mercy of Jesus as our Messiah, but regrettably overlooks the essential aspect of submitting our lives to him as Lord. Distinguishing between knowing Christ as both Lord and Messiah, just as Simeon had done, is pivotal for a comprehensive understanding of the good news of the gospel. Allow me, if you will, to elaborate a bit more using the 2016 presidential election as an illustration. Now, depending on your political persuasion, I would encourage you neither to applaud or to throw rocks at me in this moment. This is simply an illustration. But post Donald J. Trump's ascension to the presidency, post, it was not uncommon to see bumper stickers on cars of his political adversaries with a slogan that read either not my president or resist. And whether we recall that memory fondly or otherwise, I think every one of us can recall and remember that image, can't we? And these bumper stickers were um, a suggestion, suggested uh, an acknowledgement of Trump's formal presidency while expressing an individual unwillingness to submit to his authority. They're an expression that, yes, you may have been elected president, but I'm unwilling to submit to your authority. Similarly, a parallel perspective has permeated much of Western Christianity concerning Jesus. Many within the church today recognize his office as Savior, but are unwilling to submit themselves to his authority as Lord. The problem with this is that a limited perspective of Christ is incongruent with the teaching of Scripture. Beholding Jesus as both Messiah and Lord was never intended to be an either-or proposition. Instead, he is forever and always both and. Consider, for instance, the proclamation in 1 Timothy 1.15 
affirming Jesus's messianic purpose. It reads, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus is the saving Messiah. However, in contrast, Ephesians 1 emphasizes the authority of Christ, declaring that now he, meaning Jesus, is so far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. The Bible unequivocally declares that Jesus is both Messiah and Lord. And any endeavor on our part to accept him solely as Savior while divorcing him from his lordship is an incomplete understanding of the gospel. And so we circle back now to that question we asked just a few minutes ago. Who do you believe that Jesus is? If you call him Messiah, then he is certainly Lord. And if he is Lord, then he is also Messiah. And this distinction matters uh, with regards to our discussion about obediently submitting our lives to Christ. Because the truth is, just as it was for Mary, Joseph, Simeon, and Anna, how we see Jesus will determine how we follow him. And it matters for us today, just as it mattered for Mary, Joseph, Simeon, and Anna in Luke chapter 2. Specifically for Mary and Joseph, Their submission to God's authority in Christ led to a selfless obedience to Scripture. And their submission to God's written word is spelled out for us in verses 22 through 24 of Luke chapter 2. It reads this, Then it was time for their purification offering, as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered a sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And when we take into account Jesus' circumcision that occurred one verse prior, along with the purification ritual and the subsequent child dedication, It reveals that Mary and Joseph had adhered to no less than three scriptural commands in a very short text of verses. Far from being driven by selfish motivations or religious duty, we can assert that their obedience to scripture stemmed from an internal surrender to God's authority in Christ. Why? Primarily because their adherence to God's word came at a cost. According to Luke's narrative, they presented two birds as a sacrifice in the temple. Notably, the customary offering of that day was a sacrificial lamb, something which was much more costly. However, recognizing the financial constraints of the poor, God mercifully made a provision. We're offering a more affordable option, the cheaper chicken, as it were. Either two pigeons or two turtle doves could be done by anyone who was lacking finances. Hence, Mary and Joseph's obedience was undeniably sacrificial in this moment, demonstrating a selflessness as they gave from their modest and meager possessions. 
The truth is, is that obedience to God's word often comes at a personal cost. In case you haven't noticed as you've read your Bible, the Bible contains not only challenging teachings, but also issues demanding directives. Things like, again, loving your enemies, forgiving those who have wounded us, our call to deny ourselves of sinful pleasure, as well as to attend to the needs of the marginalized in our community. These commands and many more like them do not come intuitively to us. And the mere reliance on religious duty, on selfish motivations, or even a partial adherence to Christ's authority will only carry us so far through God's word. Genuine obedience in all its aspects arises only through a deliberate and selfless surrender to Jesus' lordship in our lives. It's kind of like eating raw broccoli. Yuck. Well, I may understand the health benefits of eating that super gross food unless I submit myself to the wisdom and authority of my doctor. There is no chance that that raw piece of broccoli on my plate is going to end up in my stomach. Likewise, when we follow God's word, and it's sometimes unpalatable or costly to us, it requires an internal yielding to the rule of Christ in our lives. It might not always taste good, but it's good for us. And instead of adopting this try-harder kind of attitude to obey the commands of Scripture. I would suggest this morning, church, that what is needed instead is that we learn to bow lower in submission to our King. Because ultimately, how we see Jesus will determine how we follow Him, even and including when it comes to His Word. In mirroring Mary and Joseph's obedience, Simeon and Anna also displayed an outward obedience that was born from an internal surrender to God's authority in Christ. When we look at the scripture in verse 27, we see that Simeon obediently and faithfully heeded the Spirit's directive to go to the temple that day. And out of that, a once-in-a-lifetime encounter with the infant Christ. Likewise, if we were to jump ahead a few verses into verse 38, upon recognizing Jesus as Lord, Anna enthusiastically declares to all who will listen about the Messiah's arrival, obediently taking some of the very first evangelistic steps to fulfill God's command to proclaim and reveal the salvation of Christ to the nations. And these distinct acts of selfless obedience both fueled by a sense of divine lordship, ought to inspire us as we tread a parallel course in our present journey of faith with Jesus. Because undoubtedly, as we endeavor to bring more and more areas of our life into the surrender and increasing control of Christ, mirroring the examples of both Simeon and Anna, we too will find ourselves being led by the Holy Spirit to places previously unintended and to share the gospel with people that are previously unknown to us. 
when I was thinking about this with this week, I was reflecting back to the fall of 2019 when Don and I were confronted with a pivotal choice in our lives. We had to decide to either relocate to Wisconsin to help Jason start Mosaic Church or accept a ministry offer with an established church in Baltimore. Our commitment to follow God led us in that moment to overcome initial hesitations and to reject an actually more secure offer that we had received from that church in Baltimore. Because in that moment, we felt that the Holy Spirit was unmistakably calling us to Wisconsin. And this posed a crucial test of lordship for both of us. We had said openly that we believe Jesus is Lord. But do we really believe it enough to follow him to Wisconsin? Because moving to Wisconsin provided its own set of challenges. Not only could Jason not pay us when we arrived, but it was a land full of Packer fans something my wife has said over and over again since she grew up in uh, Illinois. Not only that, it was freezing temperatures and we were moving to a church that had yet to be defined. However, through it all, we found and were led to very profound and beautiful, enriching experiences because our decision to acknowledge Jesus as Lord though not always easy and certainly something not that we always do perfectly, shaped our path of obedience and enriched our lives with remarkable moments and connections with many of the beautiful people that are sitting in this audience today. I wonder where the Holy Spirit might be leading you. Or I wonder to which people he might be calling you to share the gospel. It might be as close as the nearby grocery store across the street or as far as a continent across the seas. But regardless of God's remarkable plan for your life, one thing remains certain. It all hinges on your ability and your willingness to surrender to the Lordship of Christ Jesus in your life. If our desire is to mimic the selfless example of Mary and Joseph, Simeon and Anna, we must diligently degrade our personal illusions of self-centered autocracy that permeate our culture today. Or if we seek a more consistent, rhythmic cadence of obedience in our daily lives, similar to that of our holiday traditions, We must first be willing to abdicate the throne of our lives to the king of the universe. Echoing Simeon's hymn in Luke chapter 2, it's crucial for us to not only recognize Jesus as our saving Messiah, but also as our sovereign Lord. Because ultimately, how we see Jesus will determine how we follow him. Although the idea of embracing Jesus' lordship Holds appeal, undoubtedly. The practical implication becomes particularly challenging, especially when you consider our current cultural context that seems increasingly self centered and, dare I say, full of many cotton headed ninny mungans. In essence, how do we actively and authentically surrender more aspects of our lives to the Lordship of Christ? Unlike a Christmas tree ornament that we can simply pick up and choose to hang on our Christmas tree, 
the abstract nature of lordship requires a more nuanced approach in our day-to-day lives. And while it's true that Christ-centered lordship is certainly an individual issue of the heart, there is tangible fruit which a selfless surrender will produce in the life of a believer, measurable acts of obedience by which we can gauge the lordship of Christ in our lives. Moreover, this spiritual measuring stick, so to speak, dispels a common objection that we hear often in ministry to submitting to the sovereign authority of Jesus, often expressed as, I would obey Christ's commands if only I knew what he wanted me to do. We all too commonly cling to control of our lives out of a, under the guise of a lack of directive. We falsely presume that if Jesus would but specifically speak to us through the light of a burning bush or through the handwriting on a wall, we would obey our marching orders. I know this because I said that for many, many years. And so I would say to you, church, did you know that Jesus has personally commanded you? Do you know that Jesus has a personal command for your life? And that this decree transcends every circumstance and situation which you may encounter? And furthermore, serves as a spiritual measuring to our obedience to his lordship. So what is this command that I'm referring to? It's none other than, of course, the Great Commission in Matthew 28. If you've never heard it before, it reads as follows. Jesus speaking to his disciples through every age, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus has commanded you. He's commanded me, and he's commanded everyone who professes faith in his name to go and be about the business of making disciples. Disciple-making is something that is often confused with our culture, so in its very simplest form, let me break it down for you. Being a disciple-maker simply means this, that as a disciple of Jesus or someone who has chosen to follow Jesus, we play a crucial role in leading others to Christ and helping them grow in their relationship with him. The call to make disciples is a life-defining directive from our king. And I would encourage you not to be fooled. It's not optional. It's mandatory. It's a mandatory command, similar to that of hanging your Christmas lights before Thanksgiving. It's a mandatory command that is required that requires our obedience regardless of our social, financial, or even ethnic status. It cannot be overridden, church, if we truly profess Jesus to be both Messiah and Lord in our lives. Therefore, that's why if we ever find ourselves questioning the rank of Christ's lordship in our lives, we can easily self-assess by gauging the tangible fruit that the Great Commission produces in and through us. But simply, we only need to ask of ourselves whether or not we are sharing the good news of the gospel with those who are far from God 
and whether or not we are aiding other believers and growing in the relationship with Christ. This is an indicator for us. And a failure to affirm both positions is an indicator not of our salvation, but it's an indicator that we haven't fully surrendered to ourselves to the Lordship of Christ Jesus. I recognize that receiving that word this morning can be hard to hear. Kind of like receiving coal on Christmas morning. And this is primarily because our reasons for not adhering to the Great Commission often don't arise from a lack of desire to do so. Most of us who profess faith in Christ want to follow Jesus. But often it's our own fear and lack of knowledge that get in the way. While these are very genuine experiences of almost any believer who has endeavored to fulfill Christ's great commission, we cannot and we should not allow them to become spiritual crutches that impede Jesus' lordship in our lives. The truth is, is that fear can be conquered through these shared testimonies within a Christ-centered community like Mosaic Church. When we hear other believers who are sharing about their testimonies of bringing Christ to the lost world, they can encourage and exhort us to do the same. Also, I know that Pastor Jason and Kurt would be more than happy to give you some very practical tools to help share the gospel in your community if you've never received those. However, there is one thing that Pastor Kurt and Jason cannot do. There's one thing that no community of believers can actually give you. There's no tools or books that you can read to receive this. And it's that the decision to submit to the Lordship of Christ Jesus hinges solely on you. You alone can decide whether or not to submit to the Lordship of Christ in your life. Make no mistake, we will bow our knee to Christ at one day or another, be it in the future or whether we choose to do it now. My prayer is this, church, and my hope is this, is that you choose to do it today. Because how we choose to see Jesus will determine how we follow. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, Visit us at mosaicwi.com.